That's why I don't play first-person shooters while I'm live. Because you suck. I suck. You know what? Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. Peter will not be here this week. He has yet another personal day, which is acceptable. He promises he will be here next week, though. Promises he will be back. Because if not, Cecil will be beating him amongst the head. Yeah, I'd like to try that. I think he'd snap you in half, man. I think his his arms are bigger than my thighs. I'd like to see that comparison. No, no, actually, I wouldn't. But if you do want to no, see things like that, you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing. Don't even ask how you don't crunch your nuts in that, but a free sex swing and free U.S. shipping. Use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. And also, if you like Rift Tracks... If you choose to buy a track that that is Rift, you go to 1201beyond.com backslash Rift Tracks. And it helps us out a little bit because we are a Rift Tracks affiliate. Now, all that said, remember a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, Cecil, when we talked about how Netflix is accidentally, Netflix, Hulu, and all that are accidentally killing the low-budget video market? There, There's an even sub-level to that. Are you familiar with Tempe Video? No. I'm sure in the 90s you rented a lot of Tempe titles without realizing what they were. Tempe Video puts out, like, The Dead Next Door, Robot Ninja, oh. Galaxy of Dinosaurs, October Moon. They put out the Witch Trap movies, Horror Vision, Hell Asylum, Mummy's Kiss, stuff like that. I'm sure you've rented Tempe Videos without even realizing it. I've rented quite a few of those, yes. Well, Tempe, and I interviewed J.R. Bookwalter, the owner of Tempe, who you'll hear later in this episode, kind of d- thinks that they're even a-, a level below trauma and whatnot. And in this market, it's almost impossible for a company like this to stay afloat. Do you think that in the streaming market, with the way Netflix is inadvertently hurting the low-budget market, can a company like Tempe even survive, or is it is it just treading water at this point? It's it's tough to say because um, a lot of the lower budget companies that uh, they maybe if they want to get their stuff on Netflix, they're not going to be paid very much for it. Netflix and Amazon, Hulu and all them on top of creating their own content are now just kind of acquiring the rights to certain things. And most people, they only want the latest and greatest. And that was one of the things that bugged me way back in the day, which is why I started doing the Netflix recommendations, because you had people that were like, I have Netflix instant. There's nothing to watch. And I'm like, are you kidding me? There's like all these 
these like really great like smaller films. Okay, no, it's not uh, you know uh, Captain America or whatever. Although now I'm pretty sure I think all the Disney movies are up there. It's not all these huge budgeted movies, but there's a lot of really good movies that you may not have seen. And there was a lot of movies that I watched on Netflix simply because like it was kind of scaled down. It wasn't all the the mainstream stuff. And so a lot of times I was searching. I was like, yeah, this looks kind of cool. I'd watch it and I'd end up enjoying it. And then I would recommend it. That is kind of going away simply because of the mainstream's perception of what is good and what is not good. Every There's always that turn your nose up at something that doesn't cost a lot of money. But then you have something come along that doesn't cost a lot of money, maybe somehow ends up getting traction and becomes like a hit. And then it's okay. Then it's like, oh, this movie only cost, you know, less than a million dollars to make. And it's so worthwhile. And then other times it's like, hey, this is a really good movie. It's kind of a low budget film. And it's like, I'm not watching that crap. J.R. Bookwalter will talk about this in a little more detail, but Netflix kind of turned their back on these kinds of films because Netflix, when they were still an up-and-comer, you know, battling with with Blockbuster and all that, and, you know, nobody thought this whole streaming thing would take off, Netflix bought all the Tempe stuff, and they were on board. And then it was once the studios all saw, you know what, there's actually some traction here, and we should get in on this. Because, you know, the studios, just like, you know, when VHS came about, it was all independent stuff. The studios didn't want to get involved. You had Charles Band, Wizard, and Mita, and all that, and you had all these low-budget labels. And Netflix kind of, they built their back on companies like Tempe and Full Moon, and then as soon as Disney and Paramount and 20th Century Fox were offering their movies, they were like, yeah, I don't think there's a place for Tempe movies anymore. That's kind of a betrayal, isn't it? You know, I mean, without companies like Tempe and Full Moon and Troma, Netflix would never have gained the traction that they have now to go, we're too good for you now. I don't agree with this statement, but I'm going to say it because it's true. It's business. You're not wrong, but it's kind of a shitty business. It is, but business is shitty. Yes, they, you know, stepped on them and they used them to get to where they are now. Now they don't need them anymore, so they've discarded them like old garbage. It's not right. I think it sucks. I think there's no loyalty, but it's business. I don't like it. I, I really am irritated when I hear stories about that because it wouldn't cost them that much to kind of keep something like that afloat. But because they're always looking at the bottom line, they're always trying to do something to, to, you know, make things profitable. And then they do some like, look at how many people flipped out when they raised prices a dollar. But so in order to keep the costs of something down, they're like, all right, well, we're going to have to cut our losses as far as smaller movies that not as many people are watching. We have to look at all the big stuff that people tune in for that we're paying, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for. We don't want to have to look at all this. So if we dump some of that other stuff, then we can make up for that dollar extra that people didn't want to pay. I think there's an even bigger disloyalty there. They're still willing to stock all the asylum crap. Good luck, good luck getting, you know, October Moon in there. Good luck getting Witch House 3 in there. But they'll take all the asylum crap. All right. Asylum in today's market has the name behind it. So it's possible uh, either one of two scenarios. Either one, there are, they have a really good deal in place with them. They might be coming bundled with something else. Or two, 
because the asylum is so well known for putting out garbage that is watchable garbage that people are actually watching it. So maybe they're looking at it from a perspective of people are tuning in to watch Sharknado and uh, whatever uh, awful movie they have put out. So I think that that's uh, maybe both of them are playing into this so much. I mean, we don't really, you know, we're speculating here as to why it's there. What about for, like, uh, newer films? Like, for the last few weeks, we've mentioned Beyond the Gates, which is a great horror film. You've got Rue Morgue just put out a new horror a new horror sci-fi movie, which I haven't had a chance to see yet, but Galaxy of Horrors looks very interesting. There's The Void. There's there's all these new lower-budget films. Do you think that, that the market that, that they're in now is more or less difficult than keeping the medium's limitations out of it than they would have if if Galaxy of Horrors or The Void or Beyond the Gates came out in the mom-and-pop VHS era. It seems like they would have been more embraced to a relative mainstream audience in a VHS era than in the streaming era. Is it more or less difficult for a smaller, in, literal independent film to find an audience today? It depends. It all, like, a lot of times it just, there's like a certain amount of luck and wizardry and whatnot involved to just get something to get the attention. If you get a movie that comes along that gets the attention of, for example, a big YouTuber, hey, this movie's awesome. It's, you know, everybody should go check it out. It'll blow up. You know, so they didn't have that in the old days. It would have been, you would have gotten the blessing of like Ebert or somebody. Think that now filmmaking is easier to do because you can do it uh, if you can afford a, a red digital or you can even get uh, a cheap digital camera and still, you know, put out something quality as long as you uh, in my humble opinion, uh, use the effects to make it look like film. I think that too many movies, they just, they're like, oh, we can do this on digital. And then they make it and it looks like it was filmed on digital. I think that, uh, if they put enough effort into it and it doesn't cost as much as it used to, because film is expensive. And that's one of the reasons why they were so embracing digital because film was harder to work with and it was expensive. And uh, so now you get somebody who, if you have a lot of talent, you have a lot of skill, you can do something digitally, keep it well under what would have cost a ton of money previously. You may have, you might have gotten a little bit more attention in the VHS era. Um, I mean, that's how we had the rise of things like Full Moon and whatnot because people were were clamoring for new content, and so they. They were more than happy to give them that content. But now there's just an overwhelming amount of content. And I think it's a matter of getting your stuff in front of the right eyes and getting people to talk about it in order to get other people to check out your product. I don't disagree with you, but I still want to ask, is it more difficult now to even get it in front of those eyes? Because now, like you said, yeah, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll have a, a big YouTuber find your thing and talk about it, hopefully in a positive way. In a way, the internet has splintered everything into so many small microcosms, you can just get lost in the static of this whole thing. For instance, when Tempe started in the late 80s, early 90s, if they took out an ad in Fangoria and Starlog and Cinema Fantastique, they would get seen by almost everybody who would be interested in that film. Now, you don't really have that. One website out of a hundred horror websites might pick up on it. It's so splintered, you used to be able to, in a way, narrow cast, but to a larger audience, couldn't you? 
now a lot of them they will go to as many horror websites and horror YouTubers and or you know not just necessarily horror to talk about the product and kind of get it out there that way. I I think that you go to the bigger channels you go to you know if you're going to talk to a larger uh, movie website you would go to like joe blow or something and kind of get your your movie recognized there and if they like it then that will definitely get you some traction and then uh, you go to uh, some other sites and uh, you talk to some youtubers you send screeners out there and you hope for the best it's a weird market right now. I think that nobody really knows where it's going to go because we have so many companies that are trying to start up their own uh, streaming service, and that's just further just fragmenting the whole thing. And you have certain companies that have more money, so they're going to pay for exclusives, and it's just uh, it's going to get ugly before it gets better. Well, let's let's hear from J.R. Bookwalter here. Now, I, I bring up a couple of different subjects here. We we talk about Tempe, we talk about the Scream Queen era and the, how the market changed. The the one thing I need to give you guys in a preview here, he'll mention an article I wrote. I, I write for nightflight.com and a lot of the Tempe stuff it was on their service for a while, so I wrote a piece on the movie Horror Vision. So that's what he's referring to when he references the article that I wrote. So here's J.R. Bookwalter of Tempe Video. How has the home video market changed? Tempe was a big player, at least to me and, you know, the people I was with in the VHS era. Did you see a change from VHS to DVD and then from DVD to streaming? You know, honestly, not really. From my perspective, it's sort of always been skirting along the bottom of the trash barrel like i mean i've had moments of success where you know we got some titles into best buy and things like that but they were always like very shallow victories because it always wound up you know then there would they would order too many and we'd have all these ridiculous returns and things like that i mean it's just over the years it's just the one constant from the vh era to now is it's just a freaking struggle all the time it's like a day-to-day struggle and you get you know one, you, it's almost like one step forward, one step back, like a constant over the years. Now, I mean, it's funny that you say that Tempe was a, a player because from my perspective, that's not the, not the case at all. You know, whole pockets of the country and, and let alone the world where, you know, this stuff is just so obscure and nobody knows it. So I guess it's maybe it's a regional thing. Maybe it just depends on, on where you live. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, it, it's, it's always, for independence of any size, I think it's always a struggle. I mean, it's, you know, people like Charlie Band at Full Moon have just, I'm, I'm constantly surprised, you know, he went from the, the Empire days to the Paramount era to the sort of struggling out with, with, with you know, on his own when I was wor- working with him for five years. And then he's still, you know, doing it in, in the day after the Hollywood videos and the blockbusters and all that are gone. So it's, it's, if anybody can sort of continue to do it, that's, uh, that's the, the live to fight another day. I guess that's sort of the, the goal of all of us. Is it different now? You mentioned like getting into the blockbusters and the best buys and stuff. Is it any different getting into Netflix and Hulu and things like that? Or is it just the medium has changed? Well, it's funny you mentioned Netflix because I, I had, um, I, was fortunate enough to get into Netflix while they were still back in the DVD heyday and they treated us very well. They bought every title, even if it was just like 60 units or whatever. And some titles they bought, you know, we had titles that they would buy thousands of discs and some they would just buy the minimum. And when they first launched their streaming thing, uh, we were right there at the ground level. I mean, they, 
they spent the money to, we took all the Digibeta masters there and they, they made their own copies of it at their expense and poured all this money and effort into it, which was really amazing for a label, you know, of my size comparative to everything else. But they were desperate for product in the studios at that time. Were to, had completely just turned their back. They didn't want anything to do with Netflix streaming. That was the opposite of what they wanted. They just wanted that DVD revenue to continue. And we made some pretty good money in the beginning because they were literally at the when they first launched that streaming. They were they were um, doing it by the we would get paid by the minute. Like however many minutes somebody watched, we would get paid. Well, what happened after maybe six months of that is they they started looking at the numbers, going, "Holy mackerel! These people people are wa- actually watching this stuff, and <laughs> we can't afford this." So then they came back to us and made a, a license deal where they just said, you know, they paid us a flat amount of money for a certain amount of time or whatever. And then what happened is they made a deal with Stars for all this Hollywood stuff. And at that point, it was sort of the writing was on the wall. And within, I think, probably six months, maybe not even six months, they basically had just, you know, kicked us out the door. They didn't want the independent stuff anymore at all. So that's kind of where it is now. It's sort of like back to where, you know, at, at one time, there was a period of time where you could dial up any of the Tempe movies. and They had them all in their streaming catalog. And now they don't have any of them just because we've never gone back and made another deal with them because they're so, you know, into their own stuff and, and making their own content. And how are you going to compete with, like, you know, Daredevil and the, all these shows that they're making for their own company? You know, it's impossible to compete with that. Is a temp A streaming service something that's doable, or is that outside of where you're thinking right now? People have asked me about it over the years. I mean, I, the thing is, I, you get, you wind up like, I love the Roku, but the one downside of it is you just wind up with so many freaking channels where it's just like everything has its own channel. And it's just so easy to get lost in all that noise. To me, it's still like if you're not on iTunes or Amazon or maybe Vudu and some, there's maybe a handful of these services that sort of doesn't, to me, it does, almost doesn't count. Going back to Charlie Band again, I know he's got his own full moon streaming service that he's very successful with. And that's, I think that's sort of the backbone of their, of that company now that has sort of replaced the old business model of selling, you know, to the uh, video stores. And I'm not sure if he does, I, I'm sure he does probably some Netflix and stuff still too. But to me, it just didn't seem, I don't know, it doesn't seem worth it. I don't have as much new active new release content as I used to have. So I, I'm not sure that anybody would want a, a, a Tempe streaming channel of all this stuff. That said, we've actually, I've been putting a lot of this uh, stuff up on this Amazon Prime video over the last uh, few months. And surprisingly, I mean, my Amazon revenue has gone from just a little tiny blip of people, the occasional rental and, and purchase to an actual like pretty decent, you know, amount of money from just from Prime members streaming this stuff. And I, and it's been sort of consistent the last six months, you know, it's like, it's sort of steadily jumped up and then it just sort of hit a plateau and it's sort of staying there. I don't know who's watching the stuff, but God bless them. <laughs> Somebody is. Do you have certain titles that are more popular than others? Like I saw recently Robot Ninja was coming out, even though it's only on a DVD-R. Most of us who've seen that movie have the old VHS and that's it. I mean, have you, do you have certain titles that are more popular than others or is it kind of an even keel? Well, I mean, yeah, I think the the earlier stuff I did, the Dead Next Door, Robot Ninja, Ozone, those those titles seem to just have a life of their own for the most part. Um, so there's some the occasional oddballs, like just since I just mentioned Amazon Prime, one of the titles that's sort of like actually generating some decent streaming revenue right now is this bad movie police case number one galaxy of the dinosaurs which is the thing i resurrected years ago to, to as a way to to sort of sell these really awful shot on video movies that i made back in the early 90s 
for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the cover art or just the absurdity of it uh, or what, so people are actually watching that one. I don't know. Go figure. But the, you know, the, the mainstay is the one that people are, the ones that people are most familiar with, I think, are always the ones that sort of uh, carry the rest of the catalog, as it were. Well, because when I was talking to Bill Lustig, he said that, that it's strange how certain genres, you know, with him with Blue Underground, streaming, they'll do a whole lot more westerns. But horror movies do a lot more in DVD. Do you see that kind of shift within certain types of tempe movies are better at streaming? Certain types are better with physical sales? I wouldn't break it down that specifically. I mean, I, I don't have, I probably don't venture into as many genres as, as like Blue Underground does, certainly. I mean, we've, I have comedy title or a drama like Eddie Presley or things like that. But I mean, it seems to be pretty consistent. Most of the, you know, a title like The Dead Next Door, which has been around from, you know, that was the first one that I did. We did the Blu-ray release, what, a year and a half ago or whatever on the Ultimate Edition, and, and uh, now it's streaming on Amazon Prime, and it just seems pretty consistent, you know what I mean? It's like, when, no matter how it gets released or when, it, that, that title seems to have interest. Robot Ninja is one that, I'm in the midst of restoring for uh, an eventual Blu-ray release, and that one's kind of an oddity because it, aside from the little manufactured-on-demand DVD that I did as part of that Indiegogo campaign for Dead Next Door, I mean, it's never technically been released on DVD in, in the United States. It's actually had, I think, two DVD releases in Germany, two or three maybe, for whatever reasons. But yeah, so it's sort of been, uh, it's trapped in time. You know, it's a it's an era of the, it's a, a nugget from the VHS era. It'll be interesting to see how it's received once it carries over into the Blu-ray era, you know, with the new 2K restoration and all that kind of thing. Tempe used to get into, as you put it, the, the low end of things, but I, I would call it the high-end <laughs> low end. Because there was the low-end stuff, and then I would put Tempe right up there with the full moons and the traumas. Do you – is that accurate? Well, I, I, I'm not sure everybody would, would agree with that. Now, it's weird because I've never fancied myself necessarily as, as a trauma fan per se. I love The Toxic Avenger, and there's a handful of their movies that I like. But I always considered, for example, Full Moon to be a little bit like classier version of what trauma does. I don't know where I fit in that grand scheme of thing. I mean, I'm certainly, I would consider Tempe to be lower tier than that, just for the simple, if you even if you're just going off of budgets, you know, the trauma guys and Charlie Band, I mean, they've actually had movies, you know, theatrically distributed. They've shot, you know, they, they've got uh, a lot of 35 millimeter movies that have, that have gone through the, the sort of ropes of distribution where I kind of got into it at the home, in the home video stage, you know, taking advantage of whatever the, technology was at the time whether it was shooting super 8 for dead next door or 16 millimeter for robot ninja or and then eventually doing the you know stuff on the digital before it was popular you know <laughs> when everybody was like what are you doing you're insane why are you shooting on video from my vantage point i don't see it as, as certainly there's it's not a competition thing but i i don't see i see myself in a, a lower tier than than those guys just because they've been doing it so much longer than I have. Do you consider them competitors, whether it was back then or now, or are you kind of doing your own thing at this point? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't, I can't consider it. I mean, for for one thing, I mean, maybe not trauma so much anymore, but Full Moon certainly. I mean, they're just they're continuing to crank stuff out on a regular basis. Trauma slowed down quite a bit over the last few years, but um, I, I, you know, just in a is in, in a sheer volume sort of thing. I there's no, it's not a competition. I'm mostly 
you know, trying to sort of uh, nurture my existing catalog and, and occasionally add new titles to it and things like that and, and really sort of restore these older films, you know, f- with the new technology. So it's kind of we're te- completely different approaches, I think. Do you, do you think that, that you're seeing an uptick at all in interest in the Tempeh movies with nowadays versus, say, the late 90s or early 2000s where nowadays, quote, bad movies – are what people look for. Do you think crap like the asylum actually helps your brand or hurts it? Boy, that's a good question. I don't know if it hurts or helps, but I can tell you one thing is I I'll, I'll occasionally get on like Instagram and and uh Twitter and stuff and and you look and and you see, especially on Instagram for some people people love taking pictures of like their VHSs or their DVDs or now the, with Dead Next Door their Blu-rays. I mean, it's amazing to me how many people post these things. Like where they they get them in the mail and they snap a picture and they post them. So going by that, yes, there is definitely a resurgence in interest in this stuff because or people uh, people that are sort of keeping it alive and sharing it with other people which is great because i don't do any you know certainly any paid advertising or marketing of any kind especially nowadays i mean i used to do magazine ads and things like that you know with with new releases but uh it's it's all totally word, word of mouth so it's you know thank god for the fans and the collectors that are sort of keeping it alive do you have a different type of fan now because I remember when, like, USA Up All Night was showing these types of movies and whatnot, and you had people who genuinely enjoyed them. But nowadays you have that, oh, my God, this movie looks awful. Let's check it out. Do you ever get some of that, or is it people going, you know what, I do remember liking Robot Ninja? Yeah, it seems to me more uh, an affinity for the, the older the older stuff. Like, they, they just sort of, I'm not going to say they live trapped in the 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 early 90s or whatever but it does seem like either you've got the people that they're either discovering it for the first time with completely fresh eyes or remember it as fondly now as they did back when they first found it at the video store or wherever they you know that was about the only place to to get it is either the video store or mail order so i mean that's the probably the biggest difference but um like i said if it wasn't for people sharing it with others i'm not sure that it would have stood the test of time you know, it's just the way people, I try to keep the stuff available so that it doesn't, you know, fall into the, you always have problems with piracy and things like that. But I try to, you know, keep it to a minimum by making an affordable version of it available where people can find it somewhat easily. I was actually going to ask you about piracy. Have you had a big issue with that, that people bootlegging the stuff on the torrent sites and all that? Yeah. I mean, I, for a while there, I was going through right around the time when, uh, was Netflix was sort of phasing us out, you know, that I was releasing movies like Forest Primeval and Poison Sweethearts. And it got annoying because I would, you'd ship these DVDs and literally like within a week of, of the street date of when they actually came out, you know, you could do a search and there was a torrent of it. There was a torrent, you know, people would say, I don't know if it's just one guy ripping a disc and then it just kind of gets shared around or what, but I mean, that doesn't seem to happen as much anymore. In fact, I was shocked because I did this Dead Next Door Ultimate Edition, which was limited to a thousand units. But I thought for sure the minute I started shipping those things that that eight, you know, brand new HD 2K restoration version was going to wind up on, you know, a million torrent sites just because somebody would rip it and whatever. But that actually didn't happen, at least not that I have seen to, to this point. I can find the old version of the movie, you know, like the 2005 version that Anchor Bay released on DVD or whatever, but not so much that, uh, you know, the new Blu-ray version. So I'm not sure why that is. Maybe it was just the, the people who actually bought it were true collectors and didn't, you know, maybe they didn't, uh, didn't want to do that. Or maybe they're not pirates, you know what I mean? It's hard to say, but it's sort of an interesting phenomenon anyways. 
but yeah, I've had my share of those places and you'll try and get it taken down or you try and scare people to take it down or whatever, but it's just, it, it's nothing that, I mean, you know, Hollywood can't stomp it out. So what hope do I have? Well, have you found getting the word out about Tempe more or less difficult in the internet era? Because like you said, you used to take out advertisements, you know, and you'd be in Fangoria or Cinema Fantastique or Film Facts or something like that. With the print magazines gone, which were obviously very targeted to a specific audience, is it more difficult to advertise, for lack of a better term, in the internet era? Well, I think it's easier now because you can do Facebook posts and Twitter posts and Instagram posts and things like that. I mean, the same thing everybody's doing. And it actually, I think, gets it out to a more targeted audience faster. So you don't have to, you know, put out and pay for an ad and, and send it and wait, you know, months for the a publication to come out and then not really know what it did or who it targeted or what, you know, most people just flip to the next page and don't pay any attention to it if it's not something they're interested in. So I think it's gotten easier. I mean, for me, it, I think it has, and it's certainly less effort to do than it, than it used to be. You know, you used to have to actually sit down and design an ad and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I guess you kind of still have to do that, but it's just, it's more immediate. The effect is more immediate. I know when I launched that Indiegogo campaign for the Dead Next Door Ultimate Edition, I was shocked at how quickly it spread. You know what I mean? From the time you announce it, because I didn't know, I had no idea what to expect, having never done it before. But once the word got around, people just, you know, kept coming and sharing it with others. And it was amazing to, to watch it. So I think I think people have uh, have it better now than than we did at that time. It's just the, the biggest challenge is always like with a new release title that nobody knows about, the much trickier sell. There's certain titles. <clears throat> I go back to the next door again. I mean that one for whatever reason somebody shared a VHS copy with their friend and it just sort of spread from there. So by the time it came out, there was sort of a buzz about it. I mean, of course, Fangoria did a four-page article early on back when that actually, you know, really meant something. And that really helped a lot too. But everything I've done after that has has largely been, you know, trying to get draw attention to things through a number of different means, you know, be it advertising or trying to drum up publicity, in, you know, in other areas. So I don't know. I've had certain titles, a handful of titles where it was, it all came together very easily, and then you've got everything else, which is just a struggle, you know, to, to sort of raise the consciousness of people to, to find the thing in the first place. Is there a weird irony that you wrote a movie, Horror Vision, which was all about kind of the danger of the Internet, and now it's fully embraced? Is there a weird irony in that? It's funny because I, you know, I need to go back and watch that movie again because it's been so many years that I, you, when you wrote that article on it, I was reading it again. I was like, gosh, I forgot about that. Gosh, I forgot about that. And it's sort of like, I still haven't sort of sat down and watched it again, but I guess it is kind of because if you look at the internet at the time, you know, in 2000 when we made that movie, it was very different than it is now. I mean, first of all, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, there was no Instagram, you know, everything, and there were no smartphones or any of that kind of stuff. So it, we were really taking a stab in the dark to try and, you know, guess what the near future of the internet was going to be. And we didn't always get it right, but in fact, we probably got it more wrong than right. But, but the one thing that, that Scott Phillips, who wrote that script, did get right was the, the sort of aspect of, you know, that any loner can sort of sit on the internet and, and write his manifesto. And, and that's that part of that's sort of scary part of it. I think still exists now more than ever. I mean, I, you probably heard about this guy in Cleveland that just shot this guy on Facebook Steve live Stevens. was a week or two ago. Yeah. And it's just crazy. I mean, it's like, what would possess somebody to do that? But that's, that to me was sort of ripped right out of that could have been in horror vision easily if there had been a, a Facebook at the time. And so then let me ask you so about it, that with horror vision, with horror vision being in 2000 with the relative, with the relative birth of the internet just a few years earlier, did you kind of 
see what was coming, or was it sort of, let's just make a horror movie and we'll use this internet thing as a gimmick? Well, I mean, I think the, Scott, who wrote the script, I mean, he was, he was very paranoid about the internet, where Danny Draven and I were totally embraced it. You know, we were just like, this is the greatest thing ever. So you had a weird sort of like, you know, Danny got involved a little bit later because it was Scott and I writing the script, but I don't know. I, I think it was, um, it was, we were more, I, I know I was looking more at the potential of where, where it could go. And like I said, we didn't always hit the mark on that. We sort of had to fill in our own blanks and, and obviously when at the time we made the movie the technology wasn't quite you know there yet but i don't know it's uh it's i it's hard for me to i i I remember so little of that movie (laughs) it's hard for me to answer that question all right then let's talk a little bit about the scream queens you work you know a lot with linnea and brink and stuff like that do you think that there aren't any modern scream queens at least the way we defined them in the 80s and 90s do you think that's hurt the direct-to-video market at all because i I remember back in the they say 1992 just seeing linnea quigley or brink steven or michelle bauer's name on a box was enough to get a rental at least we don't really have that anymore do we no and i mean what happened in the wake of of them is you had a whole crop of, of imitators and wannabes that, that were trying to trying to become scream queens without actually having done the work to get there and and that way i think that sort of diluted their contribution and i think there was a period of time where they you know the audiences almost kind of forgot about those girls really i mean they were sort of, there was just so became so many of these scream queen types in movies that most people were never even seeing you know it's a, you, they would see publicity about it but not actually you know they wouldn't actually crop up in any movies but I think it's come around, you know, I mean, it's the, the, the original trio are still revered all these years later. I don't know what it would take to, to, to have modern equivalents of them. It's hard to say because the, the world is so different from the world that they started in. I mean, you had, you know, like uh, using Brink Stevens, who's one of my uh, good friends. I mean, you know, when she started out, she was literally doing like little cameo bit parts. Like you can see her brief, very briefly in the shower scene at the beginning of the Naked Gun as the camera's moving and the main titles moving through there. A lot of people don't even remember that she was in that, but you know, they, that's the kind of stuff they were doing. They were doing, doing bit parts in, in real movies that were being seen and then sort of parlaying that into the, you know, the nightmare sisters of the world or the sorority babes and the slimeball bolaramas of the world, you know, that kind of stuff. So I, I actually remember Brink in the, it was like early eight, 1980 re-release of Orson Welles' The Witching. Yeah. Or I remember she was in the newly added scenes. Right, right. Which makes it a really strange contrast. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think all three of them were really doing, they were doing so much stuff that even though that, and a lot of it wasn't sort of in the B movie realm. So that, it, that sort of lent a legitimacy to that, to their pun intended body of work that, that a lot of the, the, you know, the people that succeeded them, the girls that succeeded them didn't, didn't really have because they, the successors sort of only did the B movies and never was, were able to get that chance to Linnea's do that. has been the in a Cheech and Chong movie, you know? Yeah, no, that's exactly. I mean, and that's, even though they may not be remembered for those, those parts, the, you know, the fact remains that they, that they did them. Brink Stevens is in Spinal Tap, for God's sakes. I actually think Brink's best role, I don't know if she would think this, is in Ted Newsom's Naked Monster. She's actually <laughs> quite hilarious in that movie. She probably would agree to that. that. That would probably be in her, in the upper ranks of it, I would think. I'm not trying to insult her at all, but she's a better comedian than she was a victim. Oh, well, I, I no, think when yeah. she, when she was doing comedy, she, she was more dead on than when she was trying to, you know, just get killed by somebody in like Slumber Party Massacre. Sure, sure. 
And I, but I think she just, she has the, the chops for that. You know what I mean? She's, she's gets, is able to get the timing down and all that kind of stuff. But I guess most people remember her more for the horror movies. Which, you know, is fair because that was the Scream Queen era. Right. And Tempe seemed to embrace that. I mean, you guys had Brink Stevens as your, your spokesperson for a while. When that era ended, did you see a shift at all? I mean, even though there wasn't a definite end to yeah, that I was gonna era, say, when it kind of petered out, did you see a shift at all? You know, you're jostling my memory here now. I can't remember. Like you said, there really wasn't a definite end, so that's a hard question to answer because, you know, we were, we, I was, most of my, my work with Brink was when she was sort of out of that realm of, I mean, she was, you know, working, but not probably as well known as she was in the, as the earlier stuff. You know, at the time we did things like Witch House 3 and Hell Asylum and all that. I mean, it's, we, I, most of the stuff that I did with her, I mean, when we, when I, Worked on the shock cinema, the first two shock cinema sets, which I, I only edited at the time before later winding up with the distribution rights. I mean, you know, that was sort of the peak and that was what, 1990, I guess. So by the time I actually was working with her on a regular basis, it was, we were already into the 2000s, you know, it's a whole decade had passed. So sometime in that decade is sort of when things went in a different direction. But you had guys like, um, John Russo and, and Bob McAlunchy from Imagine that were sort of making a whole industry out of Scream Queens at that point. They had the Scream Queen trading cards and I don't know if anybody even remembers this stuff now, but they had the, the magazine, which I'm trying to remember what it was called now, Scream Queens Illustrated, I think. I mean, they basically made Scream Queens into a brand and expanded it, you know, beyond what the, the original trio of girls were, which was an, an, an interesting idea, but I'm not sure. I think that helped sort of dilute things a little bit too, a little bit more. Probably they wrote it faster than, than anything. Do you think that, that a younger person that's into these kind of movies, say they're 18, 20 years old now, do you think that like a Tempe movie or a movie with like Linnea or Brink or anything, do you think that's, that's going to work for somebody like that? Or did you have to be somebody like me who grew up while all these things were new? Well, you know, the biggest problem now is just there's so much content out there that it's hard for anybody to find anything. I mean, we live in a, a day and age like I have an eight year old son and him and all of his friends, they love YouTube. You know, they could just sit on it all day and just bounce from video to video to video. So most of the, the younger generation, I think, now are discovering things in a completely different way. You know, they don't go, even though there might be, uh, we have family video chains still around my area, that there's there's a number of them within a, you know, stone's throw of my house. But the thing is, you know, I don't go there. And I don't, I'm, I'm guilty of this too, because I don't take my kids there. He's been a couple of times in the past, but um, they don't have the same discovery of, of things the way that, that we did back in the day, which is unfortunate, but everything now is streaming and YouTube and all that kind of stuff, which is convenient, but it's just, I don't think... It would really take somebody, I hate to use the word remarkable, but it would almost take somebody that, that just, you, you wonder if somebody, even like a Marilyn Monroe, would, would somebody like a Marilyn Monroe even be discovered now, you know, in this, in this day and age compared to, you know, when she was in her heyday? I don't know. That's a good question. I tend to think not, although we still, you know, Hollywood is still good about trying to create celebrities and I don't always agree with their choices. I don't think they, that they quite, uh, have what, it, what the, you know, the people in the past had. 
put it that way. I'm trying to be nice about it. Well, th- then let me ask you this. And, and this one might be kind of a harder question, but oh boy, in, in the era of, you know, people watch the Asylum movies because they want to see a bad movie. Do you get any of that? I mean, d- does does that hurt you when maybe you'll see a video on YouTube that has, you know, Dead Next Door as best of the worst or something like that? Do, does that sting a little bit? You know, I think it did years ago. But I really, it's sort of, it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen as often as, as I remember it happening back in the, in the past. And you gotta remember this is back when there wasn't social networking or stuff. I remember I posted a screenshot of a, a, a letter. I was digging through some old files. I found this letter from a video store, the returning, I think, zombie cop and kingdom of the vampire. And they were like, this is the worst thing we've ever seen. We want a refund or whatever. They had sent it to sit on my home video. And I remember that I, when I saw it, I, I had forgotten about it. But when I saw that fax again, I was like, holy crap, this really, I, it, it was almost like getting slapped in the face all over again. But really, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think that happens as much anymore. You know, the, 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 the audience for this stuff now seems to be more appreciative than they used to be. And I don't know if that's because everything looks better in hindsight. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. It's a weird thing, but, um, you know, every once in a while you'll see some, you can't, you, you can only try to appease everybody, but it's impossible, of course. So every once in a while you'll, you'll read a review or something online where, you know, people, somebody's trashing something, but I just, I'm 50 years old now and it just, I, I have, other things to worry about in my life, so I just that stuff kind of rolls off me now. It doesn't really bother me anymore. Well, would you be honored or dismayed if, like, Riff Tracks did one of your movies? You know, like like Samurai Cop has become a big cult movie, and that's a big Riff Tracks favorite. If if they did one of your movies, would that be an honor or a detriment? You know, I don't know. I've wondered that myself. I mean, not that that I'm sure it would ever happen necessarily, but it's it's sort of a I think it's a blessing and a curse because once that happens you're sort of doomed to only being known as, you know, a, a riff tracks film. You know, <laughs> people don't, it sort of erases any legacy you had prior to that or any future that you might have with a title. I guess it, on one hand, maybe it's a good thing that I've never been targeted for that because maybe it means I, my stuff is, you know, a, cut, a slightly cut above. I don't know, but I think more likely it's probably just a little too obscure, even for, uh, you know, their uh, prying eyes. I, I, you know, cause I, obviously when, when I was originally making this stuff, you know, we're, we're putting all of our heart and soul into it, especially the, the early movies. I mean, you're trying to do the best job you can. And of course, it, you know, for somebody to come along and just sort of poke fun at it would be, uh, I don't know. I, now I probably wouldn't mind, but in, in, back in my twenties, I'd probably would have been horribly offended. Let's put it that way. With the, with Tempe still being a force out there, what's, what do you have that you think people are going to want to come to Tempe? My listeners, what are they going to want to buy from Tempe? What, what will interest them? Well, I think that probably the, the thing most people will want to hold out for is the, the, this promised robot ninja restoration if, if and when I ever get to the point of actually, uh, embarking on that journey. But, uh, that's probably, that's the one I get more inquiries about right now but in the meantime i have a a film that we're going to be releasing called safe inside we just finished the sound mix and it's a sort of a psychological thriller and it's actually got some really good uh scare moments and if you like kind of the old-fashioned you know scary kind of stuff that uh that's definitely going to be uh your type of film and it's uh written and directed by jason paul column who's a tempe alumnus he made uh, october moon and and also something to scream about documentary which I produced, so that'll be coming out uh, hopefully in the later part of the summer, probably. It's not as cut and dry as people think. Like, when we talked to Bill Lustig, you know, he saw certain genres since, you know, Blue Underground 
does so many different genres. He would see, well, horror sells more physical discs, but people stream more of our westerns. Tempe is a smaller company, pretty much horror films, or, you know, what we would call straight-up modern direct-to-video exploitation. I, I, I just think sooner or later, a company like Tempe, they can't survive because you got the asylums pumping out just shit after shit after shit. You've got Full Moon just trying their damnedest to stay afloat, and I give Charles Band credit. He's been able to keep this thing afloat when I think some of his, his larger competitors went under or got swallowed by larger corporations. I don't think we're going to have all of these smaller companies anymore. Yeah, the films may be out there, but it seems like everything's getting conglomerated and the internet is just eating us whole. It's it's such an odd mix because there are pros and cons, like major pros and major cons. The major pros is that you can watch almost any movie, so, you know, to a certain degree. Let's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing, but there's a movie that you're looking for, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to find it in some capacity on the internet. Either you're going to find it on Netflix, YouTube, Hulu, Amazon, Video On Demand. Kick-ass torrents. Kick-ass torrents. You're going to find it. So there is whatever you want to watch is literally at your fingertips. So there's a beauty in that. There's a beauty in being able to, oh man, I really want to see this movie. Oh, look. Here it is. I can sit down and watch a pristine, beautiful, you know, copy of it if that's what's available. So there's that. I mean, that is just such a perk. Downside is, is that yes, this is killing a lot of the smaller, uh, independent companies. And, uh, some of them have figured out methods to keep afloat and, uh, to keep things moving forward. Like you said, I'm really glad that, uh, Charles Band and Full Moon are still forging ahead. They're still really doing well and they're doing smart too. They're, I mean, by them, putting out HD upgrades of all their old Full Moon movies, major kudos, because I am getting each and every one of them. Uh, even ones that I wasn't, like, I like all of them to a certain degree, but ones I like lesser than other ones, but just getting them to see finally you being can in finally full screen. You finally let your love for Arcade out? Yes, I can finally let my love for Arcade and seed people out. <laughs> But, uh, that, I actually, no, I, I legit like Arcade. I think it's, uh, I actually it's legit silly. like Seed People. Seed People was one of the ones where I had a, a hard time with the first time I saw it, but I've, I've kind of grown to like it, it over it's, the years. It's Charles Band doing Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I, I don't know. Oh, I, totally. You know, I, I enjoyed Seed People. Well, arcade is just hilarious because it's like, look at these graphics. And I'm like, oh, God, my phone can do that. Something like Tempe, like even if you're not into a movie like Galaxy of the Dinosaurs or the Witch House movies or something like that, you're not into Robot Ninja. They also have there are lots of little documentaries that have been lost. And I'm not doing this to just pimp Tempe. I legitimately love the shock cinema collection that they put out. So much so I accidentally own it three times. I bought it when it first came out in 1990 on VHS, all four volumes. I bought the shock cinema collection DVD set from them. And then I bought an unrelated documentary on Scream Queens called Something to Scream About, one of the extras, the first two editions of shock cinema. So I technically own this thing three times. And I think it's a fantastic, I'll be very, very dated, documentary on what the this market was in 1990. In a way, it's so sad to see just how much the internet beast ate these movies whole and shit them out. I'm sure, I'm sure you remember the day when Galaxy of the Dinosaurs would have been perpetually rented out on VHS. Now, maybe 
they sell a DVD a year of it. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, a lot of movies like that uh, that were uh, – they couldn't keep them in stock in Blockbuster. And now it's just like uh, they would be stacked up and trying to get rid of them and would probably have them on the uh, the clearance shelves. And that's not the fault of the movie. That's just uh, unfortunately people – like I think we're – we are kind of a dying breed. We are the ones that uh, – we even though we don't necessarily have the time, we still somehow find the time to watch a lot of these uh, smaller films. Sleep is go, for the weak. Yeah, well, I blame it on my uh, my insomnia of uh, tempered by gallons and gallons of Mountain Dew over the years. You know, I watch a lot of stuff late at night, and I'll uh, watch movies falling asleep and catch a lot of really cool stuff that a lot of people wouldn't even give a chance to. And uh, a lot of times, even if you will recommend something, people will be like, well, who's in it? It's like nobody. It's a bunch of like newcomers. And oh, God, I only watch movies with Brad Pitt. Then then you're only going to get movies of that quality. You're never going to really get anything else. Do you think anything's going to change? I know I asked a very similar question when we did the Netflix is killing cinema thing. But do you think anything can change? As Bookwalter pointed out, everything is so splintered. You know, Charles Band has his own streaming service. Troma has their own streaming service. You've got a million f***ing channels on the Roku. You've got all the different stuff on Amazon, Hulu, Netflix. Everything just kind of is getting lost in the clutter. Full Moon is kind of smart. They're piggybacking it to Amazon. So I think that that's like they're offering it as like a tier. So you can get it by itself. But a lot of people, if they have Prime, it's like, hey, if you I don't know what the cost is, but it's like, hey, if you pay uh, you know a little bit extra, then you'll also get all of these Full Moon movies and all of the movies that Full Moon owns. So it's movies that they've acquired over the years as well. Now, some of them are very good. Some of them are very just, uh, you know, good. the, well, they're the Lolita 2000 late night Cinemax kind of movies, but they're, uh, and the, but the funny thing is they're probably some of the ones that get watched the most, but they've also got a lot of quality stuff on there. So I think that that's a smart thing for them is that they got kind of attached. I don't know what, uh, I'm sure they're probably paying, you know, Amazon gets a cut of it, but at least it's getting a lot more recognition and it's getting a lot more notice than it would like as, you know, on its own. As a collector, as you being who you are, are you happy that there's companies like Tempe still out there? Or were you surprised that a company like Tempe was still out there? I'm happy they're still out there. I want, com you know, I don't want any company that uh, puts out quality to, to go under. Uh, and I especially like how smaller companies like that and Blue Underground and whatnot, they are taking a lot of the stuff from their catalog and, and uh, putting it out on Blu-ray. And I think Blu-ray, initially I was so like, ugh, Blu-ray. Blu-ray has become like a godsend. We've gotten so many movies that have been lost that have been rekindled interest in, and we're getting these beautiful prints of uh, on Blu-ray. So I am, like, ecstatic. Uh, my collection has grown exponentially over the years to the point of where, like, I mean, it's it's not as many as... I, I still don't have as many Blu-rays as I have DVDs, but I had a lot more, you know, I had, like, a decade or whatever of getting DVDs where probably only the past, like, maybe four years or so I've been really getting Blu-rays. So I am glad that companies like that are still out there. I'm glad that they're still trying and they're still putting out stuff. They're still creating and uh, making some quality stuff, and hopefully it gets recognized, and that's one of the reasons why I'm 
I'm still doing my show. I want to talk about the older stuff. I want to talk about some of the newer stuff that people aren't watching, but they really should be. And maybe it's uh, it's enough to help keep uh, these companies going. I hope so. Like I said, you didn't even re remember that Tempe was a company that helped form your childhood until I started rattling off those titles. And I think that's the problem. They don't really have the same re name recognition that Full Moon does, do they? No, they don't quite have... Uh... They don't quite have that uh, that name recognition, and that's that's kind of a shame. But uh, I, I don't even like. I mean, PM Entertainment, and uh, like there's there's a bunch of other ones that put out videos in the 90s. Uh, companies that are no longer with us that I know, and for whatever reason, I just I don't I I didn't know what Tempe. I mean, I knew their movies, but I didn't know the company. That's one of the reasons we do this show to get the word out. We spend a lot of time bitching on this show, both you and I, me more than you. Well, but I was going to say, yeah, yes, you more. But at the same time, I like getting the word out. Now, it might sound like I'm sucking Tempe's dick in this episode, but I genuinely like a lot of the films that they made. And I know you did, too. So if you genuinely like it, is it still shilling? I think it depends on uh, on how... Like, I mean, I think that we brought enough to the table where we're talking about, uh, about the company. We're not just, we're not just like, go out and buy Tempe movies. Like, I think that's different. Like, we're coming at it from the perspective of looking at what they've done and why they're still around. So I don't really see this. You know how, you know also how we're not shilling? We weren't paid. So if we were that's paid, true. then we'd be shilling. Right now, we're just talking about something that we really like. We're just fanboying. We're just fan, there we go, we're fanboying. So, on, well, on that note, where can people find you fanboying where you're usually wrong, but about good bad flicks? I'm right all the time. What are you talking about? Goodbadflicks.com as well as Goodbadflicks on Facebook and Twitter. And, oh, and you can also find me at Goodbadflicks on Twitch where I stream and play a variety of sometimes good, sometimes bad video games. It really depends on uh, on my mood. I just got finished playing a very bad video game. But tomorrow I will probably be playing a good video game. See, when Cecil does those, he, he becomes a worst-person shooter. That's why I don't play first-person shooters while I'm live. Because <laughs> you suck. <laughs> I suck. You know what? It, like I'm, I am a pro at Unreal, and everything else, I'm, I'm just the worst. Yeah, well, you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Check out Tempe's website. Maybe buy Robot Ninja. I, I loved that movie growing up. I haven't seen it in 20 years, but I, I need to pick up the DVD at some point. I know, as Jr. said, they're working on the Blu-ray for it. Try to keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.